0: Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you daily reviews of current and classic horror movies for your twisted pleasure. Be aware that these reviews and discussions may include spoilers. And as always, I hope you enjoy. intensely shocking motion picture experience for all times it gets up and kills the people it kills get up and kill this situation must be controlled before it's too late they are multiplying too rapidly dawn of the dead meet me on the roof at nine o'clock get out (laughs) i don't believe it we're gonna get out in the chopper we've got to survive somebody's got to survive they kill for one reason they kill for food they eat their victims imagine if you will that something has gone terribly wrong <laughs> Should now accept the fact that there's no escaping the horrible consequences george romero brings back the dead night of the living dead has ended dawn of the dead is here Welcome to another installment of my year-long Masters of Horror Celebration, in which I'm joined by a guest every Friday to chat about their favorite film from our month's featured director. For the month of February, we're honoring none other than the late and great zombie godfather himself, George A. Romero, and today I'm joined by a returning friend of the show, Will, to chat about 1978's Dawn of the Dead. Will, welcome back. Hey man, how's it going? Not too bad, I'm excited to talk to you about Dawn of the Dead and uh, the illustrious career of uh, George Romero.
1: Oh yeah, I... Right
0: he's a director that his reputation precedes him in almost every single conversation that could be had about the uh, the zombie genre as a whole oh yeah um, so I'm curious kind of what is your first kind of introduction to Romero what is your George Romero origin story
1: it's actually it's 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 very uh, um, uh, the fact that like it's kind of past uh, the time where he was the most popular I'd say I don't know it's weird like I was like 10 or 11 when I actually saw Night of the Living Dead, but it was the 1990 version, the 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 remake, the one that Savini did. And from there, though, I was like, I liked it a lot. And it was my older brother who was like, oh, this is actually a remake. You should check out the original. And then from there, I went from George A. Romero and I was like, oh, OK, so he's the one who kind of uh, um, started this whole zombie trend up. And from there, I went on, you know, to his other films and such.
0: That's awesome. I need to check out the uh, remake. I've been meaning to do that. And in doing research for Dawn of the Dead and just kind of finding out the connection between Savini and Romero, if anything, it makes me want to watch the remake even more. Yeah, yeah, it's The uh, the helm of
1: it. It's truly amazing.
0: Night of the Living Dead was my first one, and it was one of those things where it was like visiting grandparents or something, and it kind of just came on TV. And I think I saw it when I was like 10 or something, but even at that age, just the whole... about that movie just stands out to you it just jumps out at you uh, as like the first zombie movie I saw but just because Mm -hmm. of you I'd seen monster movies before that but at the same time I'd never seen them that look monsters that look so human obviously yeah and Mm -hmm. later into the film obviously they start becoming more and more decrepit and rotting and covered in blood but I mean just the idea that they were people that came back from the dead was like a concept that blew my 10 year old mind at the time. Yeah.
1: It was good. so unique about that one too, though was like how it all, like it really starts from the get go. Like they get some to a point where like they, they get stuck in this house for like the majority of the film. And so it's like, it, it's egging on the, the claustrophobia too. Like this is, you got to survive this right now. Like this is a situation that's always liked about it too.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's a quality of Romero's that I've come to really appreciate in that he's able to make very ordinary, almost nondescript locations, super Mm -hmm. memorable and tense. I mean, you have, with the exception of maybe like Day of the Dead, which is like an underground research facility, but a majority of his films, they take place in settings that are very just commonplace. And he's able to make a farmhouse scary. He's able Mm -hmm. to make a shopping mall scary. So then as the viewer, I start being like, well, I've been to these places and it kind of creates this creepier atmosphere being like, well, next time I go to a shopping mall, am I gonna start thinking about zombies or uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. nazi but bi- nazi bikers attacking i mean <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a great quality of uh, his filmmaking that in revisiting the especially night dawn and day of the living dead i've been able to uh, appreciate a lot more
1: yeah for sure
0: but uh, in terms of kind of just romero's style and the way that he makes films what's something about that that really stands out to you
1: uh, it's just like uh, what I've noticed a lot when I revisited Dawn of the Dead just now was like just his directing how like and, and with the editing and stuff too just like how like in your face it is kind of you know what I mean like here's just this zombie tearing off this flesh and you're gonna see all the gruesome detail like I think that's the aspect i like about him the most like especially like the intro raid scene when like the one wild cop is just like oh, i just want to murder like dude wait till the zombies get everywhere you'll get all the murder and you want like
0: <laughs> right <laughs>
1: but yeah. like even just that scene like the quick cuts of like the, the the rapid pace of it like
0: totally and i think that that is what surprised me the most because i this was only the second time i'd seen dawn of the dead i'd only mm-hmm. seen it once before that, and. I was really taken with the leaps and bounds in terms of his style and how it had evolved. And I believe it was a decade in between Night and Dawn of the Living Dead. It had been te- mm-hmm. about 10 years. And just to see not only what he's capable of doing with a bigger budget, but yeah. also just his filmmaking style and how it had evolved. Right. Night of the Living Dead is fantastic and it'll never be topped, in my opinion. But it's a very simple film both in the way that it's made but also kind of just in the the scope of the movie whereas Mm -hmm. dawn of the dead there's so many new cuts and angles and obviously effects and all these things and he's got a bigger budget and it's really remarkable to see what he's able to make out of all of that
1: yeah exactly it's so good
0: but in terms for people that haven't seen dawn of the dead somehow So (laughs) uh, this is the second chapter in Romero's original zombie trilogy, and it's sandwiched between Night of the Living Dead and Day of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead follows a group of survivors, two policemen, Peter and Roger, and two news reporters, Stephen and Francine, who take refuge inside a shopping mall to wait out the apocalypse. But their resource-rich haven catches the attention of other survivors who must contend with, as well as their own sanity in the face of the end of the world. So in terms of this film, you said that the way that he's able to kind of capture the mall and make that terrifying. What is the, well, let's take it back. Actually, you brought up the apartment raid. Yeah. What about that opening really stands out to you minus the cop that you brought up? Cause we'll get into that in a minute. But what about <laughs> yeah. that whole scene really captures the kind of essence of what he's doing with this sequel?
1: Well, it's, like, just the the panic, you know what I mean? Because you're cutting from the the apartment raid to the newsroom where, like, people are just going even more crazy. So it's just, like, a lot of, like, the we got, like, an hour till everything blows over, like, and then the the discoveries in the apartment of, like, how they're holding up the zombies for, you know, whatever religious reasons or, um, you know, reasons they don't want to admit that, you know, it's not the same person it was before. Like, a lot of that aspect, too, it's, like, really showing Like, you know, like you got a little bit of time before this is unmanageable or it really is already unmanageable.
0: Yeah, I think Ramiro's vision really for the end of the world is one that's super realistic. And it's really fascinating to see the two parallels, right? You like you said, you have the TV studio where there's utmost chaos is uh, ensuing and everybody's running around. People start abandoning their posts. There's no direction. And -hmm. then you see kind of what it's like in the outside world. And it's equally panic stricken except in the apartment raid we see people are like gunning down people people are getting carried away and killing people indiscriminately yeah. whether they're uh, criminals or people to live there or zombies and he's really able to create this sense of chaos that is super disturbing in a way that i mean before you even really know about the zombies in the context of the film like it is a super Unsettling film, just in terms of like the different portrayals of chaos that he's able to yeah. uh, capture.
1: Mm-hmm. and right from the get go, like how like so even how some of the that other group of cops was like already like betraying their post and their job. Like they're still yeah. on this one mission, and they're like, you know what? This is it's all gone to hell. We should just every man for himself. You want to group up, like already to that point, but it's, it's good though. It's ideal. I mean, when you think about a, an apocalypse situation like that, especially zombies, you know, people would be like that on the defensive immediately.
0: He does a great job of capturing the different perspectives of, or not perspectives, but like the wide scope of just very realistic portrayals of how people deal with stress. Right. You have people that kind of, they've got their bug out bag and they're ready to dip. They're making these little alliances abandoning their posts. And there's some real world kind of comparisons, I think, to it even now in 2020, especially with the scene in the news studio when the scientist shows up and the scientist is starting to tell people like giving them warnings and precautions and things like that. And immediately the people that are in the studio turn on him and they're calling him a a fraud or a fake and whatever and all these different things. And it's like in 2020, that scene is so much scarier because dealing with our own current pandemic like what is the first thing people do when scientists tell them hey you should probably heed our warnings they're like well fuck you we don't have to listen to you and t- to see that in a film from 78 is uh equally terrifying
1: yeah right like just like in almost like you know 40 plus years later it's funny to think about it like with our current situation too though it's just like it's kind of shitty knowing that like we would be the first country to just go down if like the zombies came you know like and everyone would just have to heed warnings from us like like, yeah. It kind
0: of sucks. <laughs> and I mean, when I, the first time I watched this movie as a kid, I thought the scene with like the redneck militia, which is mm-hmm. kind of like a continuation from Night of the Living Dead, right? You have that yeah. redneck militia that's hunting down the zombies. It's not as fu- When I was a kid, I thought it was like kind of goofy. But now it's like pretty terrifying because it's like, yeah, I could see a section of the population being like, eh, fuck it. We'll just take this into our own hands and then treating it like a party. Like, there's there's a bunch of quick cuts of them. Like Pat, it's like early in the morning because it's dawn of the dead and they're like passing out beers and getting shit faced. (laughs) And like people are almost casually just getting killed by zombies and they treat it like it's business as usual. But the reality is, is like this hunting party mentality is not going to be very well sustained.
1: No, no, they're eventually going to turn on each other or make drunken mistakes. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think kind of transitioning into the apartment raid, just the scope of that scene, I think, and the amount of choreography that goes into it, it's so much Mm -hmm. more complex than anything that was in Night of the Living Dead. And whether the chaos that he captures is is like a byproduct of him being, I don't want to say an experience because he's been doing it for a decade, but it's whether he was able, it's a result of him being able to wrangle all those people and have the choreography go off without a hitch or yeah. is it that, Hey, he threw so many people into a scene. It's just naturally chaotic. Like, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Is it, is it controlled chaos or is it chaos captured on film? Right?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: But that I think is such a disturbing beginning to the film before we even really see the zombies ripping into people because mm-hmm. it just shows how quickly people change. As soon as they're dealing with an unforeseen situation or they're kind of like living in a climate that chaos is on the horizon at all times. And I mean, for Mm. this, we see like you brought up that racist cop who's like, well, we're in a gunfight. I'm just going to start gunning down whoever like (laughs) that's not a completely unrealistic portrayal of how some people might react in an apocalypse.
1: Yeah, zombies are not, I mean, when it comes to cops, it's like, <laughs> yeah. another thing that surprised me with those cops too, is like, they didn't really look like SWAT, but like everyone had an M16. I was like, what's going on here? Right. <laughs> <laughs> like they're ready for the zombies. They might not might not be too bad in a situation.
0: I guess we shouldn't be too surprised by the uh, current militarized state of our police force. Right?
1: right, I guess it was like that back in 78.
0: <laughs> but I really love the introduction to Richard's character who's played by, uh, Scott Raynor, and Mm -hmm. his character is so interesting in the way that George Romero is able to convey so much about him and how he's such an outlier from all the other cops. Right. There's that moment where he's, you see his reaction, seeing the racist cop gunning down people. And I think he's calling them slurs and stuff. And he's like clearly very disgusted with that guy's behavior. But then also when he, uh, draws on one of the gangsters. And instead of gunning him down, he tells him like, just stay there. And the guy runs away. And then of course he runs right into gunfire. And you see that yeah. he has this moral compass that clearly yeah. none of his other coworkers do. Cause they're like all run and gun in the moment.
1: Yeah, exactly. And like, and what an ideal time to gain that when the zombie apocalypse is happening. <laughs> like that's when the morals are, are at the, the most high, highest, you know?
0: Yeah. That's a fantastic <laughs> point. And that when everybody else is kind of like bugging out, he's the one that's like, I'm going to stay true to who I am. And in the apocalypse, like that's what separates the, the like Rick Grimes from the Negans. Right. It's kind of like, I'm either going to be a force of good, or I'm going to be opportunistic and kind of fall back onto my, uh, my lesser morals as it were. Yeah. True. True. But I really love too the introduction of Peter who's played by Ken free. And without saying a word, he is the baddest motherfucker in this movie. Yeah, in yeah, that,
1: definitely, no doubt. Gunning,
0: gunning down that racist cop, and then he doesn't even, like, look to see other people's reaction. He's just like, this is what's going down, and you guys need to either get with it or end up like him. Like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just love that Romero continued from the first film, like, having a really prolific and strong African-American lead in the role of his mm-hmm. zombie movie, and... I don't know too much about like the casting for dawn of the dead versus like night of the living dead he said in night of the living dead they picked um the lead in that and it was just because he was the best guy for the job at the time they said but That's good. that film took on such a heavy handed or not heavy-handed but it was very powerful right having an african-american be the lead in that because it took on this whole new context and yeah. i don't know if that context is as strong in dawn of the dead and yet for the time period i feel like it still makes the film a standout in that regard
1: mm-hmm. yeah for sure
0: yeah so he was a really fantastic character but um yeah, he's great. In, in terms of like getting into the mall what are some of the aspects of like this being shot in a mall and changing up the locale to this very kind of just stock standard apple pie america location how do you think yeah. romero kind of handles applying that to the uh, zombie apocalypse
1: I think it's perfect because it's like when you think about it, like, you know, back in the 70s, that's when shopping malls were like first starting and first opening. So the whole aspect was already really new. So it's just like, you know, you're probably thinking, you know, what what better area to have people hold up trying to survive zombie apocalypse than the place that has a little bit of everything. You know, it's like it's like a dream. It's like a dream come true. So I think it's just like it just the aspect of it, like having it at the mall is just so unique. And I think that's why it's probably my favorite of his dead trilogy because of that just there there's so many different like moods that happen within the mall you know like once they clear out the zombies and stuff they're like hey let's go shopping like it's the ultimate like <laughs> distraction like any yeah. apocalypse like you could have just like bunnies that are eating people like you hold up in a <laughs> mall, like the best distraction ever
0: <laughs> absolutely yeah and i think that it's i mean when they first when they fly the helicopter to the mall and they're gonna land on the roof I love that line where they're I think one of the characters is like, what is that? They don't even like that's how new yeah, malls are, right? right? They don't immediately <laughs> recognize what it is. And I think you're right in that. He's able to take a locale that is, again, it's almost very nondescript. Yeah, it's a shopping mall with lots of different stores, but he's able to capture so many different layers of like mood to match where the characters are at in the apocalypse, right? It's mm-hmm. at first it's almost it's fear because they don't really know what's going on inside then they're able to kind of like make a plan and kill all the zombies. But then yeah. they kind of settle down and they fall into like consumerism, or American consumerism. Yeah. And it's like, oh, let's go on a shopping spree. Let's splurge. Yeah. But then it transitions into the fact that it's like, okay, we have everything. So what are we surviving for now that we have everything? Yeah, and exactly. His ability to like multi-layer story that touches upon all these different things for me really makes the story hit in a way that probably eluded me when I was a kid when I watched this for the first time. Mm -hmm. But, uh, in terms of the mall itself, like filming at an actual mall, which was, uh, the Monroe mall. And it was like during a three week reprieve during the Christmas shopping season. So they filmed from like 10 PM to 6 AM. And since it was a night shoot and they had so many extras, the extras were like friends of people on cast and crew and things like that. People Mm -hmm. would go to the bar, in their zombie makeup and just get hammered and so they just like be in the small-town bar getting shit and Then they'd head to work and I thought that just that image alone kind of plays into The amount of humor that's in this movie yeah. That was another thing that I did not remember at all was how funny this movie is from oh, multiple yeah. different ways Like how does the humor work for you in this? I, I love
1: it I love the, all the different aspects of like and it's mostly just like showing off how stupid the zombies are like yeah. having them like in this like You know how he kind of starts to play with the idea like that they remember like that's why they're here and stuff like that And it's like yeah, it's like and then you see him kind of trying to mess with things and mess with like arcades and wandering around water Fountains and trying to ice skate (laughs) like so much of It's just like man, these things are destroying all of our society, but look they're so stupid
0: Right. I like how you you put that a part of the a lot of the humor is tied into like messing with the zombies Mm -hmm. and in that regard, and even I think Romero himself described the movie as being more like a comic book, right? Because mm-hmm. the, the paint that they used that uh, Savini picked for the zombies wasn't supposed to be as gray on film as it was, right? It wasn't supposed to look like that. And then yeah. when you pair it with kind of just the blood splatter that they have in this movie, yeah. it's, it's almost it is cartoonish. It's comic bookish in a way. And yeah, true. tying that into the humor and the way in which they brutalize these zombies is hilarious. I mean, Mm -hmm. you have that one zombie that is at the airfield, and he stands up on the boxes, and he gets the top of his head (laughs) cut off. Or when the biker Nazis show up, they're, like, pieing them in the face, and they're hitting them with sledgehammers. (laughs) It's hilarious that he's able to go from Night of the Living Dead, which is, there's nothing funny about that movie for the most part. It's terrifying. And then Mm -hmm. you get to Dawn of the Living Dead, or Dawn of the Dead, excuse me, and there's so many zombies, and yet it's almost more about how people betray themselves in a way like people are what are scarier in that movie and i think that's the theme that kind of blends into day of the dead right it's more about how people are the ones that are ultimately going to be their own undoing and yeah i just love how dawn of the dead though is able to have humor sprinkled throughout it whether it be at the zombies expense or especially like robert uh, roger and peter i love their relationship in this movie and how they're like taking jabs at each other ken free is making fun of uh, Scott Rainer's height which yeah. Ken is like 6'5 I guess and Scott is 5'7 so they have that whole <laughs> little moment when they're in the trucks and he's like making fun of him for being so short and that's like yeah. there's a lot of little instances of improvised humor in the movie that I don't know it makes those characters so much more entertaining than you might expect considering it's a movie about the apocalypse
1: yeah true That's like a thing also with like when it came to Steven, it was like so many times he would like do something where it just like really showed off that he's like really wimpy, like not Mm -hmm. set for this. Like, I think the first zombie he tried to kill, he tried to put like eight different shots in it and they were like, (laughs) let me just kill it. Like, come on, dude.
0: (laughs) So that's a great scene to bring up because that's one of the scenes where. I was like, yeah, clearly we're establishing that this guy is a wimp and that he's not suited for combat at all. We even see that early on at the airfield, right? He yeah. is scrambling around with that zombie that falls on him. But yeah. that scene in particular also serves as an example of Romero doing a really great job of displaying his skill set and how it's grown. Because every time that Steve throws uh, shoots at the zombie, we get a tracking shot of like the bullet ricocheting off of the walls <laughs> yeah, and everything. Yeah. And... It's cartoonish because obviously he's a shit shot and they've got the yeah. zany kind of like Western gun sounds to go along with it. But also just like the technical aspect of capturing that shot, right?
1: Mm-hmm. That's a
0: much more diff- difficult shot for Romero to capture than probably anything that was in Night of the Living Dead.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: I mean, yeah, there's so many little moments like that that it just makes this film stand out not only as a continuation of, of the Dead trilogy, but just, like, how much his technical skills have grown over mm-hmm. that decade.
1: and just Yeah, like, it's just so much more. Like, you know, when you talk about sequels, like, with Aliens, you know, more, and, like, with Terminator 2, they up the ante, and it's like, same can be said with Dawn of the Dead, just you know maybe two three times as much extras like even with characters if you count like the motorcycle like uh mm-hmm. the the raiders and stuff like there's just so much more you had to handle and then of course you know shooting on a location like that in a massive mall especially if you're saying it's during holiday season holy crap i can imagine yeah. like <laughs> like six emeralds around you i need to get all these zombies out of here <laughs> right <laughs> I,
0: I think there was an, there there's an anecdote that i read uh, somewhere online uh that said One of the extras was so drunk that they got like a golf cart and they were driving around the mall and they like crashed into a banister and caused a bunch of damage and stuff. So (laughs) it kind of just shows like, whether it was in front or behind of the camera, like there was this chaos that whether it was planned, whether it was controlled chaos or it was capturing chaos. Like it's, it's surprising to me just how well the film is structured, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think you and I both watched the extended edition, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. On yeah. Yeah, so the extended edition adds a considerable amount, just more about being in the mall itself, right? And I think yeah. that normally I'm not a big fan of extended editions, I'm like, well, the theatrical is a the theatrical cut for a reason. Yeah, but exactly. in this regard, I think it does a great job of really making the mall more fleshed out, but also capturing kind of just the melancholic nature of, okay, we've been in a mall, we've killed a bunch of zombies, so it is basically safe to a certain extent. But now all the things in the mall that have been like giving us joy and giving us a sense of purpose, like that's run its course. So now we're just in this (laughs) depressing-ass day-to-day mall that should be filled with hundreds, if not thousands of people, and now it's just the four of us.
1: Yep, it's true.
0: I mean, that what do you think of kind of just the core characters? Cause obviously we get more into the biker gang towards the end of the film, but much like night of the living dead, this is a small tight focus on a core cast of characters. And it's only four characters. It's Steven, Peter, Roger, and Francine. And now for a brief intermission, if you've been enjoying this episode of daily horror habit, please take a moment to subscribe to the show on your preferred streaming platform or leave us a review on iTunes. And thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy the remainder of today's horrifying episode.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like him. It's it's like uh, when it comes to a lot of his aspect of, especially with Dawn of the Dead more than the other two, is like, oh, well, you see it a lot with Land of the Dead, actually, also. is just like... Um, characters were like um you don't really expect them in a, in a sense of like to be in a uh, like zombie scenario well obviously it's like a, a news reporter who's like pregnant which is like you know worst case scenario at the time <laughs> and then like you know the the helicopter uh pilot and then you have like two like buddy cop scenario it's like mm-hmm. it was a nice uh, little mix of uh, a different kind of people with different kinds of backgrounds and stuff like that too and like you said especially around the Uh, Given the time around uh, when it was released, too, like I think a lot of people seeing those kinds of like different uh, mix of characters and also good representation.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think that that is what is so important, especially when we're talking about like *Night of the Living Dead* and *Dawn of the Dead*, in that Mm -hmm. the character—I feel like none of the characters are copies of one another, right? And that is obviously a sign that he was like, "Hey, I'm going to have four core characters. I need to capitalize on that, right? I can't just have four guys that four guys or girls that are just." carbon copies of one another. I mm-hmm. need to have, I mean, it's nice that Romero adds that uh, diversity to the cast, but also in terms of like not having people be tropes, basically. Yeah, I mean, exactly. If I suppose if you're looking at modern zombie movies and you would say like, well, these are very clearly zombie character tropes. But again, yeah. this is one of the original best zombie <laughs> movies ever made. So that's yeah, true. where that comes from. But yeah. I think that it's really important to how much of the film is dedicated to the four of them. And there are no, especially in the moments where it's just them living day to day. We've gotten to the point where they've cleared out all the zombies and the bikers haven't showed up yet. It's them kind of fortifying and living their life. And I think that it's important to capture them in the monotony of their day because it really captures just what the reality would be like. I mean, everybody, when they think of zombies, they think of The the Walking Dead when there's like a big zombie assault or there's a horde or whatever, but it's Mm -hmm. like how many days out of the year are actually going to be like that? You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. It's more about <laughs> just finding a reason to live. Like living is actually not that difficult if you get a good setup, but it's more about finding a reason to live rather than the fight to live sometimes.
1: Yeah, exactly. Cause as you see, you know, when they're in the mall it's, the return to normalcy is very easy for them. Like mm-hmm. you can feel that like they're comfortable, but then there's just that, that underlying set of dread of just like, Oh, how long is this going to last for though? Like how good do we have it for how long?
0: And we see what they get to the point where they're playing cards and they're like all arguing with one another. And then they're like playing cards with uh, hundred dollar bills. And it's just like a normal day for them. Cause it's like, yeah. fuck it. We went to the bank and now we're rich, but this is all <laughs> yep. we can really do.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: True. Um, but then I guess in terms of like the partnership between Romero and Savini, it's so apparent Savini's tech, uh, talent in terms of just, like, applying a whole nother level to what he's able to do in partnership with Romero. Because I guess the, Romero wanted Savini to do the special effects for Night of the Living Dead, but he couldn't because I think he was serving in Vietnam at the time. Oh, wow. um, And so when he came back, they were obviously able to partner on Dawn mm-hmm. of the Living Dead and or Dawn of the Dead. And it really is telling, again, kind of how... Much fun they're having with the zombies, right? The ways in mm-hmm. which they're killing the zombies—it's not kind of like this regimented military squad, especially when the bikers show up, right? It's a yeah, bunch of—it's—it's it's a bunch of gangsters that are kind of like messing with the zombies. They're tapping them on the shoulder and then hitting them with a pie or hitting them with a machete or something like that. I <laughs> yeah, mean, like
1: the fact that like Tom Zavini comes out with a katana blade—it's yeah. like all right, like yeah. the one guy with the Tommy gun—it's like why are y'all <laughs> even raiding stuff? Y'all got it good, like,
0: right? Exactly. <laughs> Well, cool. I think that that comes into play again, kind of with the, the portrayal of like absurdist Americans, whether it's like consumer, uh capitalism, consumerism, things like that, like that he does mm-hmm. with the mall so well, but also just like, it shows how we're completely, d- we destroy ourselves when we have any inch of freedom, right? It's this idea. Yep. It's the lawless time. Like, yep. doesn't matter if it's zombies or a fallout situation. If there's no law and order, we're just going to be buffoons that are out for a good time, and even yep. if that means taking things from other people, like there's a good chance a sizable portion of us would do that.
1: Yep, yeah, it's like that you get that gang mentality, and it's just like, oh well, seventy-five percent of them are doing it, so it's all right, <laughs> right? Morals out the window.
0: <laughs> but uh, I really do love that biker assault because it does such a great job of capturing. Not only like Savini getting to be front and center in the camera because he plays one of the bikers, but yeah. he really gets to he, it feels like he has creative freedom over that scene in the sense of like, OK, we uh, Romero is going to capture everything that's happening. And Savini is going to do what he does best in terms of v- super bloody and brutal yeah. for the period violence. And I mean, what True. are some of your what are some of your favorite moments from that scene? <laughs>
1: It's when the guy gets, uh, one of the biker gets like pummeled and they start ripping open his intestines and he's just watching. and He's just like, <laughs> ah, ah, just like his reactions. like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like he didn't sell it too well, but it's just, it always makes me crack up. Just watching <laughs> your insides get pulled out. And that's just all you got to say is, ah, ah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I love that part.
0: That's a great part. And I think also for me, again, one of those examples of a blending of humor and a blending of really terrific practical effects to the period is the guy that's using the blood pressure machine it's like <laughs> a kiosk almost and he's like they're in the middle of this just like free for all against the zombies and it's a raid. And yet this guy's like, fuck it. I'm going to stop and get my blood pressure checked real quick.
1: <laughs> my favorite part about that is like, he's not only surrounded by eight zombies, but when I first initially saw that scene, when I was younger, I thought like it maybe was an accident. Like he fell into it, but right. you can see in his right hand, he has a coin. So he was going for <laughs> it. Like he needed to yeah. know immediately.
0: <laughs> I love too how that scene plays out. Cause the humor part comes in where it's like, or the practical effects part is that of course he gets grabbed and then they don't just pull him out of the machine they rip him out of it so his arm is still hanging on to the machine like that's one of those things that the more i revisit 70s and especially 80s horror movies obviously not growing up with them it's hilarious to me how they're so commonplace that people are able to blend that practical effects and the humor right i mean yeah. that scene is is it's not 100% laughs but i mean you create that scene with a laugh in mind. And then, of course, if you have a veteran like Savini, he's like, hey, man, I can pull this off in a way that will be so bloody memorable that nobody will forget it. And I mean, right. o- almost 40 years later, it's one of the scenes that sticks with me the most.
1: It's true, because it's like, it, you know, when it comes to these kind of movies, like especially the zombie movies, you, you kind of like you're always trying to figure out like the logic of it like okay like right. this is how you kill them this is like how they work and you know this is if they smell you they see you if they're familiar with the places that's where they'll be at but like you know and then like you see how weak they are that they, they fall over into water fountains or they can barely hold their balance on escalators and then you see them just rip this guy's fucking arm off like <laughs> easy as shit like come yeah. here <laughs> i always love that too it makes you question everything you've learned about them so far
0: Exactly. And, I mean, we've been talking a lot about the humor in the movie, but mm-hmm. we can't undersell the fact that Romero is... I mean, this is such a fantastic example of his ability to have humor, and yet he's able to still have these truly disturbing, emotional-filled moments. Because, like mm-hmm. we talked about in The Apartment Raid, that scene, that whole section of the film is still super disturbing to me in a way yeah. that... Because it feels so real, right? Obviously, there's, uh, there's zombies in it, but it's more about just... The, per, the portrayal of humans in that situation but it's also like when you go when they go to the airfield to refuel one of the i believe it's ken he goes into a room and he hears a banging and you assume yeah it's a couple of adult zombies and then two little kid zombies run out and he has to yeah. gun them down like that is a super sombering moment or sobering moment because you're like well shit. okay it's not just adults and that scene stands out to me still even today because it's one of those things where it's like, damn, I don't remember in too many of these movies, obviously Night of the Living Dead is an exception, but how many times do you see kids
1: getting yeah. killed
0: in terms of like, yeah, there's hordes of zombies we're gunning through, but it's like having a kid be killed obviously is much different and it, there's no humor in that scene. It's him getting nope. swarmed by those two kids. Yeah. And you can tell how remorseful he is in the fact that he almost guns down Steven afterwards because Steven yeah. is like, being careless with a gun.
1: True. Yeah, that whole scene is super disturbing. It kind of just sets the table, like within the first 20 minutes, having everything that happens in the apartment building and then everything that happens with uh, with the kids there too. It's like, that's all within like the first, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Uh, It really does set the table of where like, you're gonna be, what you're gonna see these characters go through, the moral decisions they'll have to make.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that also, one of the scenes that still gets me every time is when uh, Peter turns and he's, I mean, before you, I think what's so upsetting about that scene. And I think upsetting is the best way to describe it is that you see him going through it. It's a slow transition or slow progression into a zombie. It's not immediate, right? In some zombie movies, like 28 days later, which I absolutely love, but it's like you get bit and it's game over in 90 seconds or something like that. Just like that. It's, it's so quick that, you have to accept it. You don't have a choice because the ramifications of that are going to be in your face in the next 90 seconds. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Dawn of the Living, or Dawn of the Dead, I keep fucking calling it Dawn of the Living Dead. In Dawn of the (laughs) Dead, it's over time, it's a couple of hours or I think they even say it might be a day and a half or two days at the most. But you have to see Peter go through every single instance of the transition, right? At Mm -hmm. first he's like, yeah, it hurts, which is like, okay they i think they even say like dude just muscle up like we're gonna band you up you'll be good but then yeah. you see like it's almost like pneumonia where he's always tired he doesn't have yeah. the mobility he used to have and then he starts hallucinating and, yeah. or he starts being delirious where he's like shouting to ken's free's character down the hall and he's like oh my like we got him good didn't we we got him good and it's like, it's <laughs> disturbing because it's almost like watching a loved one with, like, dementia or something who doesn't realize what's happening to them. Yeah, true. And they don't realize that their mind state is so twisted and warped from what it was Mm -hmm. to the point where the two cops are together, Roger and Peter, are in that one bunk because I I don't even think he can sit up at that point. And he starts giving Ken Fari's character this this kind of, like, last will and testament about, like, I'm not going to change. I'm going to do my best to hold on and not change. And it's just like... that you just know that's not in the cards for him and yet he so badly believes that that it's like heartbreaking to a certain extent
1: yeah to think that like for like 48 hours or more he just was in that mind state like while just slowly transformed like knowing what's happening to you like Mm -hmm. so disturbing
0: and it i think what makes that even more disturbing is that they have that buddy cop relationship for majority of the film true and i think that seeing that they're actually friends and it's not just another survivor that's incredibly upsetting because you could see, I think that the portrayal of their relationship is very accurate to what it might be in real life if you were in a scenario like this. Okay, yeah. on a base level, they're both cops. They're both the only two kind of like morally righteous cops that are in that squad, that in that immediate squad in the beginning of the film. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean, though, that they're going to be best friends. And to see mm-hmm. them kind of like bullshit with one another and kind of joke around once in those brief moments of levity throughout the movie it really does show like a friendship flourishing and then to yeah. see that all taken away mm-hmm. and I mean I think it's kind of like having the knife twisted in the wound when you see somebody like Steven who's completely incompetent who's yeah. still alive and you're like how the fuck are you still alive <laughs> yeah, exactly. that should not be you dude it should be Roger who's alive like
1: <laughs> he was he was only alive for for a little bit longer though <laughs> His, his, his death scene was pretty brutal, too, though, like, just the, the, the despair he felt, like, being on top of that elevator, and then it's like, you either stuck there forever, or you drop down and face it, like,
0: Yeah, and that, I think that's one of those situations, too, where it's just like, he's so close, and then mm-hmm. just as he's about to cross the finish line, they're like, nope, dude, this mall is going to be your home forever. Yeah. And it's one of those things that, even if it's a character that you don't necessarily love, like, I'm don't really care for his character all that much. But at the same time, you still have to feel for him because you could see him coming around and becoming more competent and Mm -hmm. kind of evolving within this fucked up world that nobody should be really prepared for in any way. And then just as he's evolving into like a post-apocalyptic survivor, it's all taken away from him.
1: Yep. Just like that.
0: Just like that. And it's one of those things where I think that's a, credit to romero and how much depth he's able to put into this again it's a relatively simple concept of a film and mm-hmm. yet he's able to make these characters that are multi-layered and multi-dimensional in a way that i don't know i don't know how many other zombie movies do it that well i mean yeah, there's exactly. of course outliers but when you think about how prolific the genre is and how i mean how much uh, legwork romero put into crafting that genre It's almost like some people latched on or most people latched on to the wrong elements of those films to copy, you know what I mean? Or to draw inspiration from, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. of course, everybody loves zombies getting decapitated and crazy zombie gore. gore. (laughs) Yeah, the gore factor. But at the end of the day, how many zombie movies have characters that are multidimensional in the same way that they are in that original Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead?
1: yeah exactly not many not many uh, one of my favorites uh, when it comes to the zombie genre is uh, Return of the Living Dead like 1 and yes. 2 oh, love those those are great because the characters in those are just like you're, you're not really rooting for anybody like it's just <laughs> like you're you're rooting for the zombies and just how weird they are and the soundtrack <laughs>
0: yeah and the, the soundtrack is almost more of a character than some of those characters yeah right?
1: exactly
0: <laughs> that's a really great example though of a film that capitalizes on again the humor and the practical effects of the zombie genre and yeah. obviously that film is more humor focused moving forwards but at least it kind of draws the inspiration where it's like hey you need to have memorable characters even if the yeah, characters true. in return of the living dead are not necessarily like they're not that deep they're yeah. at least recognizable there's the punk there's the chick that's always taken her clothes off in graveyards there's the guy, yeah. that the, the uh, scientist's assistant or the um, the morgue assistant. And it's like they might only be identifiable through their professions, but the performances are at least memorable enough and their exteriors are memorable enough that it's like, yeah. hey, everybody's their own individual person. True, true. But in terms of some of like just favorite moments from Dawn of the Dead, what are uh, one or two of your favorite moments that we haven't touched upon yet?
1: definitely the uh i love the ending credits when it's just like the mall gets overrun again and then it back it goes back to this cheery music and just the montage of just zombies everywhere doing anything they want like <laughs> i always love that aspect like the montage in this montages in this movie i think are like they're they're so top tier
0: yeah I love the montage of um, when they're all kind of just exploring the mall once they've cleared it out for the most part. and It just shows them going on a shopping spree and it's like, (laughs) the beauty of that scene is that we can all see ourselves doing that, right? That's kind of like a dream of everybody's. It's like, oh, what if I had free reign of a shopping mall? Oh, that'd be pretty cool. I could get whatever I want. But at the same time, how the film evolves from that montage and it's like, yeah, they've had their fill of all their riches and now it's like They barely don't, they barely want to be in the same room as one another to the degree where they're just like, I'm sick of being here. I'm sick of being with you guys. Like (laughs) what's the next step? It's, there's so much tension between them that you're like, okay, somebody needs to come up with a plan, but then they're just waiting for the other person to come up with the plan. And nobody is suggesting anything.
1: Yeah. Right. Like we've, we've done the only thing that can possibly make us happy during this. And that's over that the happiness has fleeted now. Now what?
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, I really love also just again Romero's ability to show off his skill set that's grown so much over the last 10 years in between Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the, uh, Dawn of the Dead. Um, his ability just to like make shots that are so simple, but to show off the complexities of them in that shot. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many more cuts. Obviously, there's an infinite almost seeming number of extras. Yeah. And the way that he's able to incorporate all of these things it really does capture the scale of like a mall. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like in Night of the Living Dead, it's a farmhouse. So things are very claustrophobic. They're Mm -hmm. very kind of confined. And yet when you have Dawn of the Dead, it's a massive shopping mall. So obviously there's gonna be more zombies, but just the the way that he's able to capture scenes is so much larger in a way that it really does make for a film that you're like, damn, that dude learned some shit over the last 10 years of the (laughs) films that he was making
1: yep yep for sure and then you see even just like from the time i don't know how many years it was between dawn of the dead and day of the dead but with day of the dead it's like you know like most of the movies in underground base and it's like you're finally seeing more of like the government and like military aspects of it but like just from there like the uh just the little leap of effects and stuff like that like you can just see how much it's progressed and how much better he's gotten at it
0: i need to that's one that i'm actually revisiting soon for another upcoming episode um and I remember that one being something of a hybrid in terms of, I could be completely misremembering this, but I feel like it was more of a hybrid of the scale of both of the films that preceded it, right? It, they're underground. Yeah, yeah, so sure. it's definitely more, um, claustrophobic in terms of like the set that mm-hmm. everything unfolds in. And yet at the same time, it still has that scale of like there are so many zombies in that movie at a certain yeah. point <laughs> that it really does capture kind of just, again, his, uh, Romero's ability, to take the zombie nightmare and just build and build and build on it in a way that, from what I remember, again, I haven't seen Day of the Dead in a long time, but it seems like that one, again, kind of is very much focused on the characters and mm-hmm. the zombies almost become secondary to the experience, even though they have fantastic gore and makeup effects yeah, and all these things. Yeah,
1: the zombies do count when they count. Same with the uh, Land of the Dead though, because with Land of the Dead, it was a lot of like, uh, like class consciousness and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Like, oh, okay, well, this is the zombie apocalypse. These are the people that have it better than everyone else. And we still got to deal with this and zombies getting smarter and stuff like that. I, I really an, do appreciate that movie.
0: That's an element to his films that I don't think gets enough credit. Yeah, he's the grandfather of zombie films. We're all very appreciative of that. And he did it very well to the point where everybody's like, hey, he made it look so easy. Hey, I could do that kind of mentality. <laughs> came yeah, out. Yeah. And, we, and I think we quickly learned that not everybody can do that. Nope. And yet he still had the foresight to be like, hey, this is an opportunity not only to make a kick-ass zombie movie or a monster movie, but at the same time, I can actually say something. And yeah. that's not something, again, that's a quality that I don't think I can attribute to an abundance of zombie movies. I don't think yeah. there are a lot of zombie movies out there. Of course, there are some, but the mass... Given how large the subgenre is now, I don't True. think a majority of them kind of have the same commentary, whether it be um, social, class, race, whatever. He's still mm-hmm. able to, like, say something, and I think that's a talent of his that really gets overlooked in some circles.
1: Yeah, and, and you kind of, you really see it with the, the remakes of them too, like with the Night of the Living Dead remake, like... It really, um, like, I I set it just as high as I do the original, and honestly, same with the Dawn of the Dead remake, the Snyder one. It's easily my favorite Snyder film. Uh, it's got, if not the same amount of humor as the first one. Uh, a little things different, like you know, faster zombies, way, way gorier, but it's just like so entertaining in that aspect of like you still have the same mall setting and you still have all these characters from like rich backgrounds, and then the budget mm. is just insanely good. Yeah, totally. D-
0: Dawn of the Dead is definitely the Zack Snyder remake, is definitely one that I mean, everybody I feel like a majority of people include it in that conversation of like original versus remake, but it's like, mm. no, that I think that that movie is a very pure remake in the sense that it's like, it takes what works in the original mm-hmm. and then builds upon it with a bigger budget, with an insanely yeah. bigger budget compared to the original. <laughs> yeah. And it really capitalizes on the gore aspect. And of course, like faster zombies and makeup and uh, a bajillion extras in that. Um, yeah. But it's one that it definitely captures it. Does, obviously it's not a. Uh, I I don't think any remake is a perfect remake, but in terms mm-hmm. of like, how a remake of Dawn of the Dead, it sounds, it's such an absurd thing to quander, <laughs> quander, because yeah, yeah. it's just like, how are you gonna do that exactly? And then it's yeah. like, this is how you would do it. You capitalize on the elements that everybody's familiar with and where the budget is going. And so then yeah. you see the end result, which is something that, again, I think for the most part, it's a pretty great remake
1: yeah for sure like and he's you know, with the faster zombies you can tell they took some stuff from like 28 days later also and they were kind of just totally. like sprinkling what was working what was trending at the moment and mm-hmm. and in the end it's just it's just a fantastic movie plus he got grains just fucking people up it's awesome. yeah
0: <laughs> ken uh ken Faree even has a a brief cameo in it oh yeah he, that's right he, yeah he plays the uh the preacher who does the uh the famous line from the original when there's no room left in hell, the dead will walk the earth. I love, I love that line so much. Yeah, That's one of those things too, where I feel like characters don't really have these large monologues with one another. And they're not kind of like talking down to other people or like, they're Mm. not really preaching, but the dialogue that they have is very important. It's almost like none of the dialogue was wasted in a lot of ways. It feels like all of the interactions serve a purpose, whether it be humor, Informative or kind of just establishing the purpose of this character or who that character is, kind of thing. And yeah, even on a rewatch, like it is super impressive again how small the cast is, how varied they are, and how they really don't waste a moment of dialogue because it serves a greater purpose. It's not just characters bullshitting about nothing. Yeah, true. I mean, that scene that I mentioned earlier when they're playing cards and they're betting with hundreds of dollars. They're not even talking with one another, but the fact that they're playing in silence when there are no real stakes, it's the end of the world, nothing matters really. Yeah, yeah. But the fact that they're not even talking, it kind of just captures the mood and where they're at in the world at that point or where they're at in that week that they're surviving. And his ability to dance between dial, by conveying mood and atmosphere through dialogue, but also through just like the physicality of characters or the way that scenes are played out, I mean, it stands yeah. up so well for me. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Such good, such good amount of tension too. Cause it's like, man, these things are slow. They're moving like half a mile an hour. And, but you're also trying to jumble through 50 keys. Like. <laughs> <Right>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, so in terms of the ending, I'm curious what you think about the ending, because of course, as everybody knows, the ending is, uh, Roger is dead. He's been killed by uh, by Peter because he was turning. Stephen gets killed because he turned. And mm-hmm. so it's just, or yeah, so it's Peter and Francine are left. Francine yeah. wants to leave, so she drops in the helicopter. And then it's Peter who's having like a last stand in the back room and he's gonna kill himself. Yeah. But then he has this last moment of clarity where he doesn't and you kind of get the the happy ending as it were, right? He gets yeah, to yeah, kill the zombies and then the two of them escape. and. Mm-hmm. While their future is not necessarily very bright because they don't have much gas and they don't know where to go, yeah. at least they have a chance at surviving. Yeah. And yeah, it exactly. kind of it very much is like this second wind for them where, okay, we were tired of surviving in the mall. And yet the opportunity just to survive another day kind of invigorates their will to live in a way.
1: Yeah, true. Even if they're in a helicopter with low fuel heading to who knows where, you know, Right. it's still just that that it's that perfect kind of happy ending. In a sense, it's the happiest it could be, you know, honestly, going through a uh, figure, you know, looking back at what they all went through.
0: Right. And so apparently, originally, the film was supposed to end with Peter killing himself and then they were going to have Fran kill herself by sticking her head into the helicopter blades like that zombie did. Why? Which, that would, have which been would so brutal. Yeah, which would just be like unnecessarily brutal yeah. and just... Yeah. That would have ruined
1: the film. Yeah. Easily.
0: <laughs> I, I could not imagine ending the movie on such a just fucking dumb... It's just dumb. There's no other way to put yeah. that. Like, there's no way that that would play on screen. And even if it would get a big laugh yeah. at first, because you're like, okay, it's a callback. But at the same time, you're like, there's nothing about that character that would yeah, make sense like, for them to do like, that. like
1: how did you guys get through like the hundred pages of the script and then end right. it like that? Like I just, it would be like, like baffling. Now I do like how the ending with uh, the Dawn of the dead remake is just like really uh, very shut. Like ever, no one makes it out alive. And I kind of right. like that aspect and that kind of like, but that's also like a more of like a post-credits kind of thing too, because yeah. the movie does end with like, Oh, they escape, but like, and then you keep watching it and it's like, oh, no, well, I mean, what what did we expect was going to happen? You know, they're going to survive for a little longer. They're going to get to this island or whatever. And of course, the, it's, the world still fucking ended, you know? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah. at least if they had done something instead of obviously her jumping into the helicopter blades, which makes no right. fucking sense. But yeah. removed from that, like if they had ended the original Dawn of the Dead in a way where it was like, yeah, they take off and they fly and they run out of gas and they land in a field somewhere but immediately when they touch down they get surrounded by zombies like that Mm -hmm. would at least make sense how do you feel though about how dawn of the dead ends in the terms of like yeah we have this second chance at life but it's very uncertain compared to night of the living dead which is obviously the protagonist gets murdered in the last 30 seconds of the movie like what do you think about them going from ending on a dark note in night of the living dead to ending on a more I'll call it, I guess, upbeat It's not necessarily happy, but it's like up, an upbeat or optimistic ending in Dawn of the Dead.
1: Well, yeah, just, I mean, mainly just to to switch it up a bit, I guess, just to see how the audience would react. Because, I mean, uh, given how soon they did Day of the Dead after, it seems like maybe they were even kind of playing with the fact of continuing with these characters. Maybe that's why they decided not to go with that that ridiculous helicopter death idea. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, uh, yeah, for sure. It, it, to me, it just seems like you know they were probably just trying to switch it up see what they could uh, play around with. But I do prefer the uh, the ending of just more uh, more positive, you know, right. rather than just brutal. You don't want the brutal ending all the time.
0: would have been a hard sell, too, I imagine, having a pregnant yeah. woman chop her head off. Yeah. Been, that would have <laughs> been a tough sell. But uh, <laughs> I do like that the movie ends on a more upbeat note, just because given, obviously, the film has a lot of these kind of, like, depressing, melancholic ups and uh, ebbs and flows to it. But at the same time, it feels very comic booky in that sense that we talked about, where there's a ton of humor, especially the way that they start treating the zombies at a certain point, they're like, oh, you're secondary, I don't even have to think about you. It doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah. I'm gonna shove yeah. pies in your face and all this shit. <laughs> yeah, but true. for them to end it on such a negative and bleak note, I feel like I definitely don't think audiences in 78 would have been a fan of that. I think they would have been like, yeah. so what was all this for? Like audiences now still say stuff like that about uh, dark endings, yeah. but I think even more so back then. But also those are two characters that you want to see live. Those are the two most competent characters in the entire movie. I mean, yeah, true. Fran Francine begins. The film as this kind of just like she stands around and she doesn't really do much because she's so terrified, but she Mm -hmm. comes into her own as somebody that is a survivor of the apocalypse. Right. She learns how to handle a gun. She learns how to like, just move around zombies. She learns how to fly the helicopter. And then of course you see Peter who has always been this kind of like moral force of good. Who's very competent. And as much as I like Roger's character at the same time, Roger's character, we see at one point in the film, like begins to succumb to the kind of like gun happy, behavior that that racist copying in the film does where he's like oh we could kill them all we could kill them all he gets like he goes berserker mode almost
1: (laughs) yeah like descends into madness already
0: (laughs) yeah exactly and that shows that while he might be a good person on some level he is corruptible in a sense that Uh you never see peter be corruptible at all yeah like you never see
1: you never see a weak spot in him or francine like ever so it kind of makes sense that they would they would be the ones to survive at all
0: yeah, and in their fortitude throughout the entire film, I mean, you really want to be able to see them live. And I think that mm-hmm. it's easy to have... I'll say this about the remake. The remake, I didn't necessarily care about a majority of those characters. You know what I mean? I didn't. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that I had the same investment in them. That's not sort of True. one of the things about the remake that I uh, enjoy as much, right? I think it looks beautiful in terms of obviously... Just the, yeah. the gore and the zombie makeup—it all looks awesome. Oh, it's definitely yeah. higher-paced uh, tension and whatnot because they're running, and it's very entertaining. Whereas when they get killed in the end of that movie, I don't necessarily care as much because I'm like, <laughs> yeah, they were essentially just fodder or cattle that we were following, ra- versus another pocket yeah. of cattle that were surviving, kind of thing. Yeah, true. <laughs> You're almost expecting them to go to the uh, the meat grinder, as it were
1: yeah exactly just in what order
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly but uh i think in kind of just wrapping up my one of my final questions would be uh if you had to pick a structure to survive uh, a zombie apocalypse and whether it be a farmhouse a shopping mall or an underground facility which would you choose and why
1: the mall, easy, every time. Yeah. M- mainly if it had a movie theater attached. I'd be alright. Oh, yeah, for sure. And and power, as long as yeah. it has power. <laughs> Once it loses power, it's worthless.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, most likely
1: that. Or the, just the top of a parking garage. Anything, anything with yeah. height.
0: <laughs> that's true, yeah. That's true. I would probably pick a farmhouse just because... My greatest fear would be finding a mall, but then from the outside looking in, you're like, oh, that's all the shit that I want. And then you have a situation where the Nazi bikers show up.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. Or just the overflow. Yeah.
0: But then again, if I'm in the farmhouse, there might be people hiding in the basement that end up being dicks. So.
1: Yeah, yes. true, true. <laughs> all the different zombie genre films and shows have shown us this.
0: Right. <laughs> I was going to say, I've got a lifetime's worth of examples of uh, oh, try to find a place that you avoid the most people if possible.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> but uh, as always, man, it's a pleasure talking horror with you. And I appreciate yeah, you sure. coming on and talking about Dawn of the Dead. And horrors, Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service and follow the show on Instagram at Daily Horror Habit and on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod for episode updates. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you guys next time.